Do you think about death very often? That might seem like an unusual question to ask, but I think it's a fairly important question to ask. Do you think about death? Do you ever think about what your own death might be like? Sorry if that seems uh, kind of morbid, but it's a, it's a real question. Do you ever think about what your death could be like? What it will mean for you? This idea of death has actually been crossing my mind a little bit lately. Uh, for one, there's been a number of instances in the last while where our kids have made references to death and actually uh, kind of like flippantly or, or freely referred to the fact that it would be better for them to be dead. And uh, as, as a parent, that's pretty alarming. You're like, oh my goodness, like what's, you know, these are little kids, what's going on in your mind and, and heart? But it, it really hasn't been anything super deep other than their growing awareness of who Jesus is, their growing sense that um, in heaven, things are going to be better than here. I think my kids like life on earth pretty good. Um, they seem to have a lot of fun. They seem to be pretty, uh, pretty settled and, and not uh, dealing with un- underlying perhaps mental illness issues or anything like that. But it seems like it, it really is just this childlike sense that heaven is going to be better. They know that they have a brother, Jared, in heaven, our stillbirth uh, son from a, a couple of years back when he passed away at birth or prior to birth. So they know that Jared's there. They know that Grandpa's there. They talk about heaven a little bit. And, and a couple times, just matter of fact, like, oh, it'd be, it wouldn't be that bad if I died because I'd, I'd go to heaven. <laughs> it's interesting to hear that. So that's got me thinking about death a little bit more. And then on the other hand, I do have a senior um, who I'm close to, someone I care about, who is in a place where they are ready to die. They've expressed that as their body wears down and as they feel more physically limited. And and they've said, I'm ready to go home with Jesus. I'm ready to die. And so this has got me thinking about death. Sometimes I think about my own death. Not much. (laughs) This isn't a, a fixation of my mind, but you know, it crosses your mind. Will I be someone who lives a long, long life? Will I be someone who could die of a heart attack at 40? Will my death be preceded by months or even years of physical illness? Or I have a friend whose grandfather passed away. He was 80 years old, seemingly good health. He was out curling with his friends. And I think it was a brain aneurysm. And he died on the curling ice with his buddies. The doctor said he was done before his head hit the ice. And I thought, well, that wouldn't be a bad way to go at all. And yet we don't determine that. Some deaths are very tragic. And some deaths are at the end of a, a, good, a good long life. Do you think about your death? We live in a culture that actually avoids death. And there's a fellow named Frank Thielman. I'm going to read an excerpt of his work here to you. He says, It has often been observed that death is an embarrassment to modern Western culture. Prior to the first half of the 20th century... When extended families often lived near each other and even sometimes in the same house with one another, it was not at all uncommon for children to observe death firsthand and to learn to cope with it from older family members around them. Today, however, most more people die in hospitals than in homes. Bodies are quickly removed from the hospital to the morgue And the embalmer's art rapidly restores the body 
of the deceased to a lifelike appearance. Death is the worst possible event for those who believe that they have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our way of coping with it seems to be to deny its existence. I think there's some real truth in those statements about our death-avoiding culture. It's a fascinating quote. What do you think about when you think of your eventual death. Again, I don't I don't want to have I don't I don't want this to be morbid. I don't want to have an unhealthy fascination with this. And yet I don't think it hurts. I don't think it hurts for us to consider the fact that life on this earth is limited. I think it's a really good idea for us to mull this over. So in our text today, we actually have the apostle Paul mulling over the difference of life and death. Mulling over which would be better for him to live or to die. And he continues on with this theme of joy. So we're in the midst of our our study through Philippians and our theme is joy no matter what. Big thanks. Deb Ward did the chalk art for us and updated this. Uh, Thanks, Deb. Looks great. Joy no matter what. And I want to echo, I want to keep repeating that um, sometimes, first of all, let me say that when you're not joyful, God carries you in his grace and his mercy. You've got to know that. Whether you feel joyful or not, God's going to carry you. The second piece is there's an important part in life for mourning, for lament. Jesus wept. We are not supposed to be happy all the time. The third piece, sometimes mental illness clouds our minds and our hearts so that we can't feel joy in any way because of physical realities, because of traumatic realities. And and that's okay. I don't want to heap on this burden of I need to feel joyful. And so I hold all of those realities in tension with the other reality that I do believe, because we see it in Paul and we see it in others, this capacity to grow toward, generally speaking, into a more joyful disposition, into this undercurrent. And and I know that, that many, if not all of you, can think of people you know who you can say, you know what, they know what joy is. And with that in mind, we receive uh, the words of Scripture that say, be joyful always. And so we want to grow into this reality of joy. It's not something I can just muster up. I'm not going to decide tomorrow I'm going to be a super joyful person. Rather, it's growing deeper into who God is and what He's done for us that gives us this capacity for joy. So, we're in this series about joy. Joy no matter what. And Paul is reflecting on these matters of life and death within the context of a conversation about joy. And Paul does not seem scared about his potential death. He doesn't seem stressed out. He doesn't seem to avoid it. He seems pretty secure with whatever happens. And perhaps, I don't know, like me, you're asking, how can I have that level of contentment, that level of security, that level of joy, that assurance, that laser-like focus? And I think that Paul's insight is big stuff. So we're going to look at what he says here in Philippians chapter 1. I invite you to turn to that. Turn to it in your Bible. Pause the video. Turn to it in your Bible, on your phone. Whatever means that you have there, please turn to it. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. Actually, I'm going to read it so you don't have to pause the video. Philippians 1, starting at verse 19. Read along with me, please. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage 
so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Paul is considering these matters of life and death. What are the circumstances that lead him to this? Where he says, I don't know which to choose. And and I think that this is rhetoric. These are words that he's doing to kind of express a point. Paul knows he doesn't have a choice. This is in the territory of God alone to determine. It's not something Paul does. So he's just kind of, he's using language, rhetoric to prove a point here. But, But what's the reality here for Paul? He is under arrest. Whether he's in jail or under house arrest, he's under arrest. He's been arrested because... He was preaching. He was telling people about this good news of Jesus. The authorities didn't like it. It was politically disruptive. It was religiously disruptive. And so they said, we got to control. we got to contain this guy. And so Paul's in prison. And there's the very likelihood that at the end of his time in prison, he could be executed. He's waiting for a decision on this. He could be executed. Or he could be freed to return to his life as before. This is actually a very real question. Paul's considering, am I going to die or am I going to see the light of day again? Now, if I was in Paul's shoes, I think I'd be a little bit stressed out about this reality. What would I do? I'd be, I'd be like sending letters and trying to get in contact with whatever connections I had with high-ranking officials, trying to get them to advocate for me, doing everything that I could to stay alive by any means possible. I'd be working toward that end. I would be stressed out. And Paul, it seems, he's just sitting there, he's like, ah, I don't know, dying wouldn't be so bad. That's jarring to our death-avoiding culture. It's jarring to our culture where we place so much value on life on this earth. How could Paul say this? How could he say that to die would be gain? Paul knew his place in the story of Jesus. You see this in the text. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus being lifted high. He says that now in, in verse 20, the end of verse 20, he says, Now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether that be through life or through death. That Christ will be exalted. People will see how good Jesus is, no matter what happens. And he goes on, the the end of the passage in verse 26, he talks about through him that the, the boasting of the Philippian church will be in Jesus because of what Jesus has done through him. He's all about Jesus being lifted high. He's all about how good Jesus is. I think that this capacity to hold life and death loosely is rooted in Paul's vision of who Jesus is. Who was who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to Paul? Jesus is our creator. 
our intentional creator. He created you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was active when he knit you in your mother's womb, when all of creation was put into motion. So he's your creator. He's God in human form, coming to live with us, to show us more clearly what God looks like. To Paul, Jesus was his friend. To Paul, Jesus was the one who laid down his life on the cross so that Paul could be forgiven. The one who paid for his sin. The one who then rose from the dead to defeat the power of evil. Sometimes, I don't know, maybe, maybe it seems like I'm repeating the same thing over and over again, but because that's the core and the central truth. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, forgiving our sins, showing us how to live well, defeating the power of evil, this is what it's all about. This is who Jesus is. Paul knew that, and it's because of this reality that he could place his trust in Jesus no matter what. He knew that Jesus was continuing to live. Jesus had left his disciples, had ascended, gone to be with the Father in heaven. So we've got earth, the physical realm, heaven, the spiritual realm, and God's plan is to bring the two back together as they were pulled apart or there was division or separation that happened after Adam and Eve turned in sin against God. There's some separation there and they're going to bring it back together. Heaven will come to earth. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We read in Revelation 21 about the new heavens and the new earth. That's God's plan. But for now, Jesus is in heaven in the spiritual realm with the Father where things are perfect. Everything's perfect. There's no crying. There's no no sin. There's no death. The perfect uh, place where you see goodness and, and, and beauty and truth most fully. And Paul's like, yeah, I, I could handle that. Experiencing that would be a okay. I want to go and I want to depart to be with Jesus. That would be far better than this. That's exactly what he says. Verse 23, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Many of us cling to life on this earth because we don't know how good life with God will be. Now, our life on this earth is a gift from God. We ought not to hold it loosely. You know, we, this is a gift and we're called to be here. It's not to diminish that, but we've got something better coming. And so I, I think that's reflected in we build up our wealth. We build up our careers. We build up all of these wonderful things around us to control this life and think little and direct very little of our, our resources very little of our prioritization of what we value is directed toward the kingdom of God, is directed toward sharing the good news of Jesus with others, growing in our relationship with God, because we, we kind of think life's pretty good here. And it is, in a lot of ways, but we've lost that perspective that Paul had of how good and beautiful Jesus is and life with Jesus. That's where we get a good glimpse of it in the childlike faith of our kids. I love it. You know, they're not jaded by years of struggling and striving. They just accept things at face value. Well, if heaven is where God is and that's where you go when you die and it's perfect, like, yeah, I want to go there. That's why the kids will say, like, well, dying wouldn't be wouldn't be so bad. And as a parent, I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, how can you say that? <laughs> they get this. That childlike faith that we need to return to of the goodness of heaven. So Paul's thinking that's pretty attractive. But then he also knows this reality that God is not done with his work here on earth. I'm going to read these verses again. Verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going 
to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. He goes on later in verse 24, he says, but it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul knows that as great as it would be to go and to be with Jesus in heaven, in the spiritual realm, that God wasn't done with him here on earth. That God wanted to pour his goodness out through Paul on earth. That that there were people who needed to be strengthened in their faith. There were churches that needed to be established. Letters of of doctrine and, and the life of the church that had to be wrote. There were all of these good things that Paul had to do yet for God. He says to live is Christ. Again, he's he's so fixated on this idea of Jesus in heaven and being with Jesus and this idea of how can I make Jesus great here on earth? That's where his joy is found, not in his circumstances. And so he wants to stay because he wants to help people see Jesus more clearly. He knows that his work on earth isn't done. And and so it is for, for you. So it is for you. We have no idea when God's going to take us. When he does, when we place our faith in him, we've got a marvelous next step, something to look forward to. But God has us on this earth because he has good things that he wants to do through you. He wants to disciple your kids and your grandkids through you. He wants to help meet needs of maybe poverty or homelessness or or um, providing safe homes for, for kids. Whatever the case, God has good work that He wants to do through you on this earth. And so I pray and I ask that you would find joy in that. That Jesus would become your great vision of what life is about. And that you would find joy in that. And so it would be a toss-up. It would be a toss-up of like, yep, being with Jesus would be awesome. But I also want to serve God here now, just like Paul. This vision of God. I invite you to consider that. Now, of course, you know, in no sermon can I give an exhaustive explanation and and some things you just can't. Whether you've got the time or not, you just can't. There are some mysterious things I don't understand why God calls some people home sooner than others. All of us have people we love deeply who are called home uh, too soon. And, And we, there's this tension. We're so glad that they could go and to be with Jesus but we miss them here. And we could have received so much goodness through them. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. All I want to say is that I want to be like Paul. I want to find joy and hope in this idea of like, Jesus is so great in my life. I have such a, such a marvelous and firm vision of who Jesus is. I'm like, ah, yeah, going to heaven to be great. Continuing to serve God and God pouring out his goodness through me here. That'd be pretty great too. I want to be in that place where I can be like Paul. And it seems in the text that Paul kind of settles on this, this reality that he is going to be sticking around. It's probably his hunch or his sense or maybe the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. That yeah, he's like, I'm going to be around for a while. I'm going to be investing in these people so that they will boast in Christ Jesus because of what I've been able to do and to accomplish. The last thing, I'm going to move into my conclusion in a moment, but the, the last thing I want to highlight here is in verse, verse 19. It says, um, For I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed and will have sufficient courage. So so Paul is in challenging circumstances. And he says, God's going to come. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is going to come and give me the courage that I need. But note what he says there about the prayers of the people. Through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ. Your prayers make a difference. You need to hear that. Paul, the great giant of the faith, he, like, 
He was the, he was the cat's meow of Christian leaders. God did so much good stuff through him. Like, I'm not, I'm not, we're not half the people that, that the Apostle Paul was. And yet he needed the prayers of the people. He believed that the prayers of these people he wrote to made a difference. And so I want you to hear that. If you're like me, there are times where you're like, oh, I don't know if my prayers are making a difference. It feels like they're bouncing off the ceiling sometimes. But I want you to hear this and I want you to place your faith in it. Paul believed that their specific prayers for him made a difference in his capacity to endure in these challenging circumstances, to have the courage he needed. And so I want you to receive that and I want that to renew your passion for prayer, to renew your, your commitment to prayer, trusting that as you pray, God is receiving those prayers. And in the great mystery, I don't know how all this works or why it works this way, but in the great mystery of all this, God responds to those prayers and it shifts his activity. He hears those and responds and strengthens people. So I want you to ask, God, who is it that I need to pray for in this way? And I want you to pray fervently for those people, believing like Paul that those prayers make a difference. Now, coming back to that theme of, of death and life, I want to share with you the story of, of Joni Erickson Tata. This is from uh, April 2020, so almost a year ago, Christianity Today article entitled, Why Should I Fear Death? Um, Joni Erickson Tata, she, uh, she was paralyzed, became a quadriplegic um, over 50 years ago as a 17-year-old, a diving accident, and has been in a wheelchair ever since. And this is what she writes recently. Francie, please fill this and make copies of this letter, would you? I hardly looked up from my desk while talking to my assistant. And one more time, I groaned, would you please pull out the sofa bed? For the fourth time that day, I needed to be lifted out of my wheelchair and laid down. We had to readjust my corset. Shallow breathing, sweating, and skyrocketing blood pressure were signaling that something was either pinching or bruising my paralyzed body. Francie wiped away my tears, and as she shifted my body, examining my legs and my hips for pressure marks, I stared at the ceiling. I was done with being paralyzed. I was tired of the never-ending day-to-day disability routines. I had had my fill of it, and I mumbled to the ceiling, I just want to quit. Oh, come on, Francie joked. What are you always saying? You can't do quadriplegia, but you can do all things through Christ? I didn't have a comeback for that, and so I remained quiet. We couldn't find anything wrong with my body. Francie hosted me back into my wheelchair. Where do I go to resign from this stupid paralysis? I said. And Francie grinned. She'd heard it scores of times before. And as she was about to leave, she paused and she said, I bet you can't wait for heaven. You know, like Paul said, we groan, longing to be clothed with a heavenly dwelling. My eyes dampened again, but these were tears of relief. My Christian friend had just offered a very comforting, powerful reminder. Yeah, it will be great, I said. That afternoon, the verse stuck with me, and I whispered a prayer. Yes, Lord, I do look forward to being whole, to having a body that will never know pain. But to be honest, what I really want is a new heart that doesn't want to give up or quit. I sat in my office and dreamed of what I imagined a thousand times. Heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection secured for us many amazing things and one is a firm hope of eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth with no more sorrow or pain. 
So here we have Joni Erickson Tata, 50 years of being in a wheelchair, and what she describes, it sounds like it's incredibly uncomfortable. In her story, after she was first paralyzed, she struggled with depression and she struggled with deep, deep discouragement of just wanting to be done because of her limitations. But as she received this vision of who Jesus is and what Jesus had in store for her, she grew in her desire to be with Jesus one day, to be made whole, to be set free, to die is gain. But she also caught this vision where she could say, but to live is Christ. And Joni went on to write 40 books to do wonderful advocacy for people with disabilities. Uh, she, she's done her painting, has become well-known. She's been a woman of incredible influence because she wanted Jesus to be lifted high and exalted. So she said, for me to live is Christ. That's my aim. That's what I live for. That's what's the best. And someday when I get to heaven, it's going to be gain. Wherever you're at hearing this, maybe you're young and spry and full of energy and death is the furthest thing from your mind. I want you to hear this and I want you to say, I trust in Jesus that someday life's going to be even better. And if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, you need to do that so that you can know that someday you will be with Christ in perfection. And so that you can live and say, yeah, confidently to die will be gain." Maybe you're old and you need to be reminded of that. Maybe, or maybe young and sick, whatever the case, reminded that to die will be gained. It will be better. Have that hope. Cling to that hope. But I also want you to have this identity-forming peace that to live is Christ. To live is Christ. That nothing is better than that. I want to be a part of who Jesus is. And I want Jesus to pour himself out through me to make the world a better place. Are you able to say with Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain? I pray that God would shape my heart in these ways also for the goodness and the glory of God. Let's take a moment and pray together. God, these are powerful words, striking words. To live is Christ. To live is for you and to die is gain. And, and, and God, that's, that's inspiring. Uh, many of us have different feelings and emotions around what d- death is, is about whether we want to avoid that or that feels painful or scary or whether it's something we deeply long for, I pray, God, that you would shape our hearts in these ways. To live is for you. To die is gain. God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd pour yourself out on us that we would have this posture of our hearts. We want to see this world be a better place. And so we pray that you would use us toward that end. Thank you for the confident hope we have in you. Thank you that you love us. You're right here with us and that you've given us a a wonderful future. And so we can, we can uh, embrace all that you have for us here. But we also say, Lord Jesus, we long to be with you. That'll be so good. That'll be good. We love you. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. And God, we close by praying for all of those who are experiencing uh, homelessness. Whether they're in a dangerous living situation right now, or they are actually out in the cold, or whatever in between. God, we pray that the resources needed would be drawn together to provide safe places for these people. God, we pray that you would shape society around us to be compassionate. And God, we ask that you would lead in the decisions of policymakers for affordable housing so that that would be available. Um, We pray that you would bring your kingdom in this area. God, we pray that you would enable us to, to care for our human brothers and sisters. And so the money that we raise for coldest night of the year, we pray, God, that you would direct that for your glory. Help them to be used wisely and with honesty and for the goodness of others. 
We pray this also in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, thanks again for joining with me. I invite you to gather with us on Zoom uh, one last time, um, hopefully one last time. Uh, we'll be back in person in our facility next Sunday, February 28th. But join us Sunday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. on Zoom to connect together, to pray. And we're going to spend some time together sharing the blessings of God that we've experienced. So maybe even come prepared for that. Come thinking, what is one thing I'm thankful for? What's one thing that I've seen God giving to me or others in this time? And we'll share that together. But of course, no obligation to share if you don't want to. That's just if you'd like to verbally, verbally share. Okay, see you then.